Good morning. For those of you who don't know, which is probably, well, you probably know my name but by this time, but my name is Scott Jones, and today is my first Sunday preaching here at MP NAS as your senior pastor. Wow, what a journey. My goodness. It, it doesn't feel like it was, what, a week and a half that we started doing this move? Um, it feels like a year. How many of you have moved recently? Well, how many of you have just moved at any point in your life? Do you remember what you felt like? Like a Mack truck hit you, right? Yeah. And I kind of chuckled at all the people that said, well, you're, you've got everything settled, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's not going to happen for a while. We... Um, these last couple of days, um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I didn't even know if I would talk about this because I'm going to get emotional. I know I will. I dropped um, my oldest son, Kidron, off at uh, Asbury University where he is a freshman. Um, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. For those of you who have done this and done it multiple times with multiple kids, you know what I'm saying. You're probably thinking, newbie. <laughs> you'll, you'll figure it out. It'll be okay. But in the first two days, the second day, I, I got a text from my son um, saying that they did worship out on the lawn, if you've ever been to Asbury University, out in front of the, um, out, I guess, behind where the chapel is. And he said, Dad, this, this worship was unbelievable. Um, he said, I've experienced some things already in the second day that I've never experienced before. And he said, it's like, it's like God was saying to me, and he was putting the pieces in place, that things started to click for me that I've never seen for my life. What? And he said, Dad, don't worry about it. I feel like I've got this now. So Asbury University um, has done a great job in just accepting him in, but um, there's nothing like getting a text like that from your kid. So he's going to be okay, just like mom and dad are going to be okay, just like Kaysen's going to be okay. Um, I came in this morning, and I said, yeah, I'm going to need four seats. And I went, no, I'm going to need three seats. So, but the cost of not sending him would have been far worse than what I've experienced up until now. And I know God's going to do huge things through him and, and in his life. So thank you for allowing me to give you just kind of a, a point of personal preference here. But um, if, if, I, if I come across a little on the tired side, um, we've done, what, three, three trips to Bowling Green over the last week, uh, back and forth getting his car to Asbury and, and Wilmore, Kentucky, which is near Lexington. So we've done a lot of traveling. And uh, I'll try and make sure that my, my, uh, my thoughts are coherent. I'll do my best. No promises. I'll do my best. 
So you'll find out that one of the things that I like to do starting off is always a quick question. And the quick question is not necessarily something that you just think about and throw away. I want you to think about it for the whole sermon. So here it is. Have you ever come to the place in your life where you realize that you're too comfortable? Too disconnected? And you start to have this strong urge that you, you floated away from God and you want to reconnect. Have you ever felt like that? I have. Sometimes you just get too busy. You allow things in your life to get in the way. Something bad happens and it's right in your face and you can't see the forest through the trees. You just desperately want to reconnect with God. You know, those types of thoughts really resonate with me because it taps into this deeper spiritual longing that so many of us live with, but we don't like to talk about. We just want to find a way to reconnect with God. But we're not sure how we're going to do that, right? We feel like we're not qualified or we look at our past and our background and we're not sure that God cares about us or loves us. Sometimes we're simply too lazy. That's honest, right? Too comfortable with our lives to make the effort to reconnect with God. But that doesn't change the fact that inside all of us there's this deep desire, deep down in our core, to reconnect with God. Even in the New Philly area, as I've found out that with all of this very self-sufficient-minded people, the pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps type people, I think the spiritual needs of people, they're going up, they're not going down. There's a need for churches to make bold declarations that there's good news and his name is Jesus Christ. It's a powerful statement, a powerful reminder for all of us that God is still in the life-changing business, amen? We're going to pick up on that theme as we start a new series this morning called The Price If I Don't. Now, you're probably wondering what that title's all about, but we'll get into that a little bit more later. But to help us unpack this just a little bit, I want to start again with another question. You know, this summer at teen camp, I got to thinking about teen camp. My boys had a great time at the Kentucky District teen camp. A lot of teens accepted Jesus Christ into their lives, and they made recommitments to him, and I love that. I want you to think about what their lives were probably like the first few weeks after coming home from teen camp. Do you think their lives got harder or do you think they got easier? Especially if they made a solid commitment to Christ. For me, I imagine their lives probably got a little harder. On one hand, as we step into faith, we often experience life as being more difficult, more demanding, more costly. One of my favorite theologians, a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. Anybody read that? Ah, wonderful book, fantastic book. In it, Bonhoeffer's critical of what he calls cheap grace. Have you heard this phrase? It's a grace where we say, look, Jesus, I'm super grateful you've forgiven me. I'm super grateful for your life and for your sacrifice. But all that teaching, all that stuff about my character and my actions and my attitudes, I'm probably not as interested in what that's all about. So how about I talk to you again when I get in trouble and I need your help, God? Cheap grace, right? If that's your perspective, when Jesus says things like, love your neighbor, 
and your neighbor isn't so lovable. Maybe you're the neighbor that's not so lovable. Forgive those who hurt you. That's easy to say, isn't it? Not so easy to do. Confess your wrongdoing. We're not real good on the confessing part, are we? Tell the truth, even if it hurts. Give sacrificially. Uh, there's one that makes people nervous when pastors bring that up, right? What are you doing, pastor? You're meddling and you're only here about five minutes. It sounds really difficult. It sounds super demanding. It feels like I don't know how to do those things. Those things they sound hard. They seem risky. What if I make a fool of myself while I'm trying to do this? It feels pricey. It feels costly. And it is in a lot of ways. It's a difficult path to take. But what we think about and talk about a whole lot less is the price tag of if I don't. The price tag if I don't follow. The price tag if I don't do discipleship. The price tag if I don't love. The price tag if I don't forgive. The price tag if I don't tell the truth. Part of the reason our country is in the shape as it in is because we have stopped telling the truth. It's another sermon. The price tag if I don't give sacrificially. Yes, there absolutely is a cost of learning to follow Jesus. Absolutely. Life can be experienced as more difficult, but what if, and this is our question this morning, what if the price tag of if I don't is actually much, much greater? What if? But here's the thing, and this is super important. We need to realize something about Jesus' teaching. Jesus didn't teach that his way of life was the more difficult way. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's costly. Yes, it's sacrificial. But he didn't teach that it was the more difficult way. How do I know this to be true? Because Jesus himself tells us. Listen to what he says in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My yoke is easy. Easy? Really? For those of you who don't know, and I'm sure you do, a yoke is a beam, like a wooden hardness, for two animals who are working together. It allows them to pull a load that's super heavy in such a way that it lightens it. I spent a lot of years in Ohio, probably 25, 30 years, and I think we were required in high school by state law to know this kind of stuff. I don't know about here, but that was kind of how it was in the Columbus area. Jesus said, my, my yoke, life connected to me, walking with me, doing life my way, lightens the load. It's easier, it's better, it's less costly. My yoke is easy. And this isn't the only time we see this in Scripture. It's a theme that we see over and over and over again. Proverbs 13, 15 says, the way of the transgressor is the hard way. It says in 1 John 5, 3, God's commands are not burdensome. Although most of us actually experience exactly that, don't we? I think if we were honest, we would say that. See, we experience God's commands and teachings of Jesus as something that is this great burden for our lives at times. That this is a heavy weight that we have to carry around and it, it's dragging us down. As most of you know, I, I grew up a preacher's kid. And I did my best to live up to the rep. 
And I grew up going to church every single week. And I had this perspective for an awful long time. This burdensome, legalistic, obligation-based way of thinking about faith. It's sort of like this weird religious game of Simon Says. Except it wasn't Simon Says, it was the Bible Says. The Bible says do this, the Bible says do that, the Bible says don't do this, the Bible says don't do that, over and over and over again. Does that sound familiar to anyone? And I'd see people not following the rules, and I'd be like, "Uh uh-oh, the Bible didn't say that. You're out. It was this judgmental perspective, this rigid, legalistic perspective. And a lot of times that judgmentalism was actually some kind of jealousy that was in me. Because I would see people out there not playing the game, not following the rules, and it looked like they were having a whole lot more fun than I was. It, it looked like the much, much easier way to me. And then, as a teen, I want to quit being a Christian. And I want to give up. Because it was all about adhering to the rules, which felt like this huge burden to me. Some of you have been there. Some of you are still there. Some of you have been there for years and years and years, and you're kind of miserable, and inside you, you 100% know that. And guess what? Everyone around you knows it too, because they can see that your faith is not bringing you life. It's not life-giving to you. It's not the easier way to you. Where's that easy yoke that Jesus was talking about? That's why we need to consider a paradigm shift. Jesus says, being in relationship with me, following me, It's actually the easier way in the long haul. Not more convenient, not always more comfortable. It doesn't magically produce better circumstances for you or more wealth or prosperity or happiness despite what some prosperity preachers might preach. The truth is, in the long run, my way of life is less costly for you. So our question this morning is, how do we put on this easy yoke? How do we get started with that? Well, Jesus made it really clear in all the Gospels. It's this one word, and he keeps saying it over and over and over again. One simple word, and that word is follow. 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 Follow me, Jesus says, which means the question we have to ask ourselves is really simple. Am I following Jesus? And if I'm not following Jesus, who am I following? It's the core question when it comes to our faith. It's not, am I perfect? It's not, am I doing a little better than the person on my left or my right? (laughs) The question is, am I following? And following is very different than admiring, right? You can admire from a distance. You can know a lot about a person, admire them, speak well about them, say that you respect and admire who they are, but it doesn't mean that you're actually following. It doesn't mean that you're actually learning to live a way of life with them. You see, following is very different than just adhering to the rules and being legalistic, being burdened by all of that. Have you ever known someone who was really, really, really good at keeping the rules and yet was still a little bit of a jerk? You ever met anybody like that? Hopefully you're not sitting right next to you right now. If they are, don't look. Don't look. They're going to know. So what we're asking ourselves this morning is the question, am I following? And what I hope you'll leave with today is a clearer picture about what this am I following question could look like for you. So we're going to take a look at a story from one of the Gospels, and I want you to notice what happens when Jesus first calls a group of people to follow him. 
And then I want you to think about what that would look like for you, for all of us. So if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 5? Luke 5, starting at verse 1, going through verse 11, and would you stand for the reading of God's word? One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, I'm pretty sure, I love picturing this in my head. I'm pretty sure Peter was rolling his eyes at this point. I can't prove that, but I think. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. You see, the reason he might have been rolling his eyes is that he understood you can't catch fish at that time of the day. They were fishing all night. That's when you catch fish. The whole reason they're on the shore washing their nets is this isn't the time to throw out the nets. All right, let's continue on here. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Can you picture that? That's a lot of fish. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. You may be seated. So if we start with that last line, if we go with that last line of the story, which most of us do, this is what we read. They left everything and followed him. If we start there, it's kind of an intimidating thing, right? Leave everything and follow Jesus? Look, I know we're in church, so we all just kind of nod and say, of course that's what you do. But a normal reaction for the average man or one in the street, if you asked them to do this, would be, are you serious? Are you nuts? Why would I do that? How could I do that? Think about your life. Think about everything involved in your life. You have a job, you have to pay rent, you have three kids and a mortgage, you have some health concerns. You take care of aging parents. Maybe you're in high school or junior high or elementary school, elementary school, and you're just trying to get through it. How could we follow if it means leaving everything? Tough order, right? But if you look back at the story, following doesn't begin with this statement. It ends there. Pastor and author Andy Stanley points out four steps of following from this story. And I've found them to be super helpful for me over the years. And I want to challenge you as we walk through them. I want you to write them down or think about which one might actually apply to you today. Okay? Following Jesus starts with number one, listening. Listening. In verse one, Luke tells us that the crowd sat down and listened to Jesus. They just sat and listened. When's the last time you just sat and listened to what God's saying to you? No noise. The phone shut off. You're just sitting there listening. You know, it's not real scary. It doesn't cost you that much. The crowd just sat and listened. Why? 
Why would they do that? Because they wanted to know more about who this man was. And like you, they had questions about life. They had questions about their faith. They had questions about their pain. They had questions about all their problems. How many times do you talk to God and you just pepper him with questions? Listen. Learn to listen. It's something as pastors, you think it's hard for you. Pastors just sit down and they just start talking in prayer. Talk, 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 talk. Instead of listen. I think we would do a whole lot better if we would listen first and then talk. And also like you, all of these folks that sat and listened, they had hopes and they had unfulfilled dreams and they wanted to imagine a better future for themselves. Like you, they couldn't figure out all the pieces of their lives on their own. So, so they sat and they listened to what Jesus had to say. Here's the thing about following. Following Jesus always starts with listening. If that's not where you start, you need to go back and start there. It always starts with getting more information. It always starts with learning. It always starts with asking questions. Here's the deal. We have to be able to say this in church. Folks, it's okay to have questions. It's okay to have really, really hard questions about faith. It's okay if you're in a place in your life where you feel like, you know what? I'm not sure about any of this. I just need to sit and listen for a while. Man, this is the place for that. One of the reasons that we have small groups for adults, for teens, for kids, where you can discuss ideas and read books and ask questions is that following Jesus starts with simply being informed about him. Who is this man? What did he say? What did that mean? It could be things like, you know, we celebrate Easter. It's the story of his death and resurrection. We celebrate Christmas' story of Jesus' birth, but what does that mean for us? Great story, but what does that mean for me? A few years ago, while I was a youth pastor at Shepherd Nazarene, I was in the back room before baptisms, and one of my teen guys who, um, let's just say, he made the biggest transition I've ever seen in my entire life. This guy was about as heathen as they come, to borrow an old word. And he, and he really changed his life around. He wanted to be baptized. And he came up to me literally right before he's going to get in the water. And Pastor Scott, I just need you to know I still have some questions about this. <laughs> I said, that's okay. I got questions too, so let's get you baptized and get this thing moving. That was literally what I said to him. Because that's what following is going to start with. Of course, it starts there. It always has to start with questions. Some of you are in a season where following is going to mean taking some time to listen, to learn, to consider, then to reconsider, and then to listen, then to learn, then to consider, and then to reconsider again and again. For some of you, it might be saying, I used to write this whole thing off, and maybe, maybe just maybe I need to think again. Maybe I made some assumptions I shouldn't have made. Maybe it's time to finally read that book someone gave you or have that conversation with a friend about that tough question you've been wrestling with for years. Or maybe for you following, simply committing to come back to church next week and sitting and listening and learning and reconsidering and thinking again. That's where following always, always, always begins. If you or someone you know is thinking about faith, this is where you start, right here. This is how you can help them follow Jesus, to actually obey his command. But you need to understand that following always begins with listening. And some of us have been in that phase for an awful long time. 
You've listened, you've read, you've gone to church for a while, and your next step may be the second step that we see in this story. It's a step into being inconvenienced. Oof. That doesn't sound very popular at all, does it? Being inconvenienced. We live in a very convenience-based culture. Have it your way, right? Convenience is very high value in American culture, but discipleship and following, they often require us to be inconvenienced. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever, uh, where, do you, where do you learn more? When you're comfortable or when you're, in, you're uncomfortable? A lot of times we don't want to listen until we're uncomfortable. Picture this. The disciples, they're washing their nets. They're listening to Jesus. When Jesus says, hey, I need to get to a place where I can teach from a better position, from a better spot, so can I borrow one of your boats? Do you remember that question? It's an easy moment to simply ignore, to gloss over. Jesus wants to borrow one of their boats to move out into the water a bit so he can teach. It's kind of an inconvenience, but just a small one, just a tiny one. They've been all night fishing, and now they're washing their nets. I can just imagine Peter thinking, you know, Jesus, if you just asked just a little bit earlier, we were already out there, maybe we could do, maybe we could do this another weekend, Jesus. Come on, we're in a better position to do that then. This isn't real convenient to do right now. How many of you have said a version of that to God? I think we all have. See, what this means for those of us who've been in the sit and listen mode for a while is that Jesus is about to start inconveniencing our life just a little bit. God's going to inconvenience you, maybe make you a little uncomfortable. You're going to feel nudged to do things a little bit differently, and it won't always feel comfortable or convenient for you. Maybe you've never really invested in getting into real community. I know that's one of the things that the pastors hear. It's big on their hearts. You've been around MP Nads and you've been sitting and listening for a while, but you never really took that step to get connected, to get plugged into the community. Can I suggest you try that? I don't think you'll be disappointed. Maybe you thought about getting involved in a ministry or a small group. But what do we always say when we think about getting involved in a ministry or a small group? Maybe I'm just a little too busy. Start reevaluating, right? Have you thought about getting to know some of the folks you see week in and week out, and you don't even know their names because you're always rushing out after service to get to somewhere else, beat the Baptist to whatever restaurant, right? Maybe, just maybe, it's time to inconvenience yourself just a little bit and reach out or stick around after service. Take a risk and meet some new people. Yes, I'm talking to you, you all of the introverts out there. Maybe you're wrestling with a personal issue, a struggle, a habit, something you've never really talked about with anyone, and that's just your comfortable, convenient way of dealing with it. Maybe it's time to reach out and tell somebody. You don't have to have a plan of action in place. You don't have to have a plan of change for anything quite yet. Maybe just that little step, that little step of inconvenience to simply talk about it. Maybe that's your next step, just to talk about it. See, Jesus' yoke, it's an easy yoke, but it's gonna feel a little bit inconvenient, and yes, it's gonna feel like a hassle. It's gonna feel a bit uncomfortable to get going because this is a new thing for you. And following is gonna mean being inconvenienced in some way. 
Some of you have already taken that step. You've listened. You've experienced some of that inconvenience in your life. You've been going to church. You've been joining groups. You've been trying to serve. You've tried to rearrange your schedule, but your spiritual life, man, it feels just a little bit stale, a little stagnant. I think we all arrive at that point from time to time. So it begs the question, am I really going to experience God in my life, or or am I just going to go through the motions? Letting Jesus borrow my boat here or there, maybe I'll give some time, maybe some of my money, maybe feel a little bit of inconvenience. So if that's where you're at, what's your next step? Well, your next step is number three, take Jesus fishing. From, who are my fishermen out there? Come on now, put your hands up loud and proud. I love to fish. I love to fish. Take Jesus fishing. Now what's that all about, right? Jesus says, Peter, let's go out into deeper water. Let's let down the nets for a catch. And of course, you know, Peter's thinking, well, isn't that just great? Jesus, why don't you stick with carpentry and we'll stick with fishing, right? Because you obviously aren't, don't know what you're talking about. This is not the time to catch fish. Peter's pretty brash. See, it's a pretty safe bet that Peter's feeling maybe a little bit miffed with Jesus' fishing tips. This is a seasoned fisherman. The reason why they're sitting on the shore cleaning their nets. But what Jesus asked Peter to do was something he had done hundreds and hundreds of times before. Put the boat into the water, let down the nets, and see what God does. Yes, Jesus is asking Peter to do something he's done hundreds of times before. Absolutely. But the difference this time is Jesus is asking Peter to try it his way. What Jesus is asking Peter to do is no extraordinary world-changing task. He's not asking him to move to another country or another state, for that matter. He's not asking him to give everything up and just leave it all behind, at this point anyway. He's just asking him to do something he's done a hundred times before, but this time try it Jesus' way. See, at this stage of following Jesus, when we take Jesus fishing, it kind of boils down to one question. Will you trust Jesus enough to do something you've done a hundred times before, but try his way this time? Before Peter ever left everything behind, he experienced the blessing of trusting Jesus with just this one thing, casting his net. And his boat was so filled with fish, it almost sank. You can't outgive God. You just can't. Part of what we need to see in this story is if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to experience his faithfulness one thing at a time, one risk at a time, one experiment at a time. Experiences like this can change a person, don't you think? Think Peter would ever forget this moment? Not a chance. Think Peter would ever think he couldn't, couldn't trust Jesus after this? Of course not. This experience fundamentally changes who Peter is. Do you remember what Peter said to him after this? Get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinner. Peter now knows that Jesus is no ordinary man. He's Lord. And Peter knew he was far from the man that he needed to be. That's what happens when we have a true encounter with Jesus. And Peter also realized he wasn't alone. <laughs> you can see him almost resisting. Get away, Jesus. You're getting too close, Jesus. This is too serious, Jesus. Back off. Give me some space, Jesus. But Jesus won't let him go, and he reminds Peter, Peter, you don't have to be afraid. I'm right here. Just think about how that could change your life, too. Experience God like that. 
When's the last time you had experience with God like that? To experience something so profound and tangible and concrete in your everyday life. Going through the motions of going to church, going through the motions of reading the Bible, doing your quiet times would be almost unthinkable, right? Well, I'm here to tell you that you can experience that, but you'll have to take Jesus fishing. You have to take a chance, you'll have to take a risk and experiment this week to invite Jesus into something you've probably done a hundred times before. Some ordinary part of your life, try it his way and just see what he does. That's what Peter did. Absolutely. After the greatest catch of his life, Peter did what was at first both unreasonable and impossible. But it was the only decision that actually made sense. Jesus said, he said, Jesus, lead me in every aspect of my life. The fourth and final step of following Jesus is without a doubt the most difficult for all of us. It's surrendering your life, all of it. All of it. But here's the thing, you can't start here. If you try to start here, you'll end up burning out and it becomes all words, all motions, all emotions. It all becomes just talk. Now, a lot of us say that we want to start there, but then we end up simply fading away because we, we haven't been through that trusting process. That's what that's all about. But when you've seen Jesus do this, you can say, I'm in Jesus. I'm ready. I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready to see what you can do in my life. This fourth step means no more compartmentalizing. No more God is just on Sundays or Wednesdays, whichever time you like to come. Now it's Time to see just where Jesus leads us when we say, Jesus, it's all yours. You've got all of it. I know that some of us have been on the edge of this decision for an awfully long time. You've been part of the church. You've been experimenting with trusting Jesus in little ways. But you've never really said, it's all yours, Jesus. My life is now yours. That's what Peter did. And we, we just so much want to hang on to that little corner, that little piece, and still have control over that little piece, don't we? Think about Peter's life after this moment. Think about all he witnessed and all he experienced and all he saw, all he did. This young, plain, ordinary fisherman gave it all up to Jesus and look what Jesus did with his life. The leadership, the influence, the impact, the significance, his life changed. Think about all of it. Think about the whole story. Think about all the details of his life. It wasn't more convenient. It wasn't more comfortable. His circumstances certainly weren't easy. It was a difficult road, but the greater price tag would have been if he'd said no. There's a far greater price tag, folks, if he hadn't. It makes me wonder, what if he had just stayed on that shore? What if Peter had just stayed there? What if he just stayed by his nets? What if he had not taken that risk that day to listen and be a little inconvenienced to take Jesus fishing and then to surrender? What if? You ever play that game, what if? As scary as that future might have been, the uncertainty and the risk were all there, but the greater price tag would have been to not. Okay, all my married people out there, do you remember when you got engaged? Do you remember? I do, vividly. There were some moments leading up to that day where I faced a lot of doubts, a lot of fears about taking this, this step, this monumental step. 
Knowing that marriage was going to be this whole new world I was going to have to, have to navigate, and I didn't know if I could do it. A lot of me have grown awfully comfortable with being in control of my own life, thank you very much. I got to decide what to watch on TV or where things go in my place or how you put a new roll of toilet paper on. Does it go over the top or does it hang underneath? <laughs> when God knows, it goes over the top. <laughs> There were moments in that last week before I asked her to marry me when I was wrestling with the cost of this decision. There were so many risks and there was all this uncertainty, all these what ifs to go with life. But what made that decision so easy for me was when I reflected on the price tag of if I didn't. The price tag of not being with her, the price tag of not being committed, the price tag of not trusting God with my future, not letting him be in control of my future, of our future. Then I began to think about more moments in my life where I was in a moment of decision. Maybe you recognize some of these sitting in church, listening to a message, and God making my heart go 100 miles an hour, knowing I could either go up and kneel or I could just stay there and let the moment pass on by. Those moments of decision. Maybe reading a verse in the Bible and it convicted me in some way, knowing I needed to do something and the road looked risky, it looked uncertain, it seemed so costly at the time. You see, there are moments when I look back and say, I'm so glad I was able to take that step and follow. I'm so glad there are moments where I just learned and listened. I'm so glad there are moments when I took a step, I took a little inconvenience into my life. I'm so glad for moments where I took Jesus fishing in my everyday life. I look back at those moments and I think, man, what if I hadn't said yes? Where would I be? Like being here this morning. My mind is still a little bit blown. I'm standing here talking to you. The things God had to put in place and put into motion for it to culti cultivate with me, culminate with me being standing right here. Here in New Philadelphia, preaching my first sermon at MP Naz. Jesus has two words for each of this morning, for each of us. Follow me. Follow me. That's it. It's not complicated. Two words for each and every one of us today. Follow me. And you need to know it's not going to be more convenient or more comfortable for you. In fact, your circumstances might even get worse before they get better. Not a rosy message. But the much greater price would be for you to look back someday and wonder, maybe, maybe even about this moment right now, what if? What if? What if I had said yes? What if I had taken that next step and followed Jesus? What, what if I had confronted my doubts and my fears? What if? What if I had confronted that uncertainty and said, okay, Jesus, I don't know where this is going to lead. I, I don't even know what you're going to do. I don't even understand all the questions I have, but, but Jesus, I'm all in. I'm willing to follow. See, knowing what Jesus can do in your life from this day forward, knowing all the places he can take you, knowing all the things he can accomplish in you, whatever you think the cost of following Jesus is going to be, it pales in comparison to the price tag of if you didn't. So whether your next step is taking the time to listen or your next step is allowing a few inconveniences in your life and just kind of testing the waters a little bit, 
Maybe it's time to take Jesus fishing this week in your life. Trusting him with something that feels very, very ordinary, but instead this time, do it his way. Or maybe for you, it's taking a moment to say, it's all yours. My life, every little corner of it, I'm taking my hands off, it's yours. Whatever step it is for you, my challenge for you today is simply this. Don't just hear and then go back to your ordinary everyday life and wonder what if, what if, what if. My challenge to you to say, take it. Take that step. Follow him. It's the only way to know for sure that Jesus is who he says he is. And the only way to know that for sure is to follow. So take that step and see what God does. And I promise, and you can hold me to this, you won't regret it. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you call us to follow you. And right now we are all facing a moment, maybe facing a step where we really need to listen. Maybe we need to be a little inconvenienced. Jesus, maybe you're calling us to trust you this week in something we do all the time, but just trust you to do it your way. Maybe you're calling us to surrender. Jesus, I can feel that nudge in my heart right now for where you're calling me to take a step and asking me to follow. You seem to do that with me a lot. And I know that for every single person listening right now that you're here and you're nudging their hearts as well. Jesus, we don't have all the answers. In fact, a lot of times we feel like we have no answers. We just have questions and we have doubts and we have struggles and we have pain. We're gonna make mistakes when we go out of this room. But you keep calling us back to the same thing, to follow, to follow, to follow. Would you help us take that step? Jesus, would you help us to take a risk? Would you help us to trust you, Jesus? And we pray this in your holy name, amen. I don't know how often you guys do altar calls here. I'm somebody who doesn't like to drag these types of things out. I'm not real big on emotionalism. But if you'd like to pray, man, I would invite you to come. That's what these altars are for. That's why they're here. And if you have in your thought, the thought in your head that if I come and kneel, what is somebody gonna think? What, they're gonna think I'm weak. Man, this is the strongest thing you could ever do to humble yourself and to kneel at the altar in this church. So as we sing, I'd invite you to come and it would be my privilege. It would be my honor to pray for you. If nobody comes, I'll close this in prayer, but I would invite you to come as we sing and kneel at this altar and I'd like to pray for you.